Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Getas Whelan, Swansea City fan, uh, also a contributor for The Jackcast, which uh, can be found at The Jackcast on Twitter. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm with Anfield Index. I'll be talking about Liverpool today. You can find me on Twitter at ZachForster underscore AI. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Gitto, obviously, cigarettes and scores. I'm pretty sure I'm legally bound to have to mention that anytime it happens, and you come on the show. Also, Pulaski scores. In that one, is that kind of a promising sign as you head into the end of the season and into next? Yeah, um, the, it was a game against Stoke which offered quite a few positives. Uh, we don't tend to do very well at Stoke. Um, we've we've never beaten them in the Premier League. I don't think we've beaten them since we were in League One together. Um, so I have to say I wasn't very optimistic going up to Stoke yesterday. Uh, even less optimistic when Bojan scored to make it 2-0. Um, the formation, we stuck with the diamond, which does divide opinion among fans. I personally think it has a place in certain matches. I didn't think um, against Stoke was the right time to use it, especially since Stoke did have a few injuries uh, going into the game. Uh, and I, Even though for most of the game, our, our passing was, um, was improved on recent performances, we just didn't look like creating anything. And then we were desperate for the substitution. It finally came after 60 minutes. And it was an interesting one because it was Jefferson Montero who has not had a look-in really since um, the turn of the year. Um, you may remember he started the season unbelievably well, um, was looking set to really tear the league apart, if I'm honest, uh, but then had this dramatic dip in form, huge loss of confidence. And since being dropped around the turn of the year, the big question has been about his future. Does does he will he still be here next season? How can we get the best out of him? Is you know is he a broken player? Is there any hope of anybody getting anything out of him again? Um, but he came on and and had a massive impact on the game. He really did. His pace um, was, was fantastic. Showed some trickery again. Um, really stretched the play and gave us much needed width and produced some really dangerous crosses, which we just couldn't quite get on the end of. But he was the difference in the sense that he opened the game up, uh, made life difficult for um, Stoke. 
uh, and then uh, Alberto Poloski came on, um, who uh, has also been a little bit out of favour of late. Bafetimi Gomes has been getting starts ahead of him. Uh, his only goal before yesterday had been against Spurs, but he too had a really positive impact on the game, gave us more of a, a presence up front, something to aim for, and um, got, a, got a second goal via a deflection, obviously. Um, but it's 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 really encouraging because getting coming back from two goal deficits is not something we do. Um, we did it earlier on the season against Bournemouth, um, but apart from that, we've only done it twice in our previous four seasons in the Premier League. So it's you know usually when we go two goals down, that is it. So it was a really really good feeling to come back, snatch a point against a team in Stoke who um, have generally had a very good season. Um, will be obviously disappointed with with that result, um, but um, there were there were quite a few positives from yesterday's game. And I think the hope now is that between now and the end of the season, we can really string some results together, string some performances more than anything else. Because I think we we, we do believe that we're safe now. I don't think we're going down. The bottom four is the bottom four. It's between Newcastle, Sunderland, and Norwich to see who joins Villa. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's all about just building for next season, getting a head start really ahead of the summer, uh, and then the big decisions have to be made in the summer. Um, one of the uh, interesting things over the recent weeks has been the talk of Brendan Rodgers. The general belief among fans is that it's a done deal and that he will take over in the summer. Guidolin has done a, a, a satisfactory job so far, but nobody, but his tactics are a little bit defensive. Really, um, don't I don't really think it suits the the club or the squad that we've got, uh, and with his age as well, people don't generally see him as a as a long term option. So, um, it's it's generally believed that Brendan Rodgers is going to come in. This is dividing opinion. Uh, a lot of fans are wholeheartedly in favour because of what he did here last time. A lot of fans have a lot of reservations because. Um, well, one, some people are a bit angry that he left us for Liverpool. I don't think I, I think that's silly, really, um, because who wouldn't join Liverpool compared when you're a Swansea manager? Uh, it's a massive step up. My biggest concern is that towards the end of his time in Liverpool, he took a hell of a pounding uh, from the media, from the fans. Um, he clearly wasn't thinking straight um, in his final months in charge. Uh, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and just wondering what kind of impact that's had on him. Are we getting back the same manager that we had last time? Not too sure about it. Um, but that's that's the big talk at the moment. Everything is focused on the summer and how we change things so that we are not that we don't have a repeat of this this season next year. Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about Brendan Rodgers coming back to the club. Obviously, Gilfie Sigurdsson took a step up, then came back to the club. Another former Swansea player. Uh, Wilfried Bonney obviously has struggled at Manchester City and all signs point to him leaving. Any interest in you trying to, trying to get the whole band back together, maybe going for Joe Allen and have another run at it? There has been a lot of talk about Joe Allen. I don't know why Liverpool aren't starting Joe Allen. He is in the best form of his career. Um, when he was playing for Wales um, over the international break, he stood out. He's he's playing some brilliant football moment. I don't know what, what Zach thinks, but I, I'm I'm loving watching Joe Allen at the moment. I really think he's a brilliant player and I don't think really he should be looking to come back to a club like Swansea. Um and, and my my opinion is the same on Wilfred Borney. I think things obviously haven't worked out for him in Manchester City. 
Um, the lack of game time has hampered him when he has been in the team. He hasn't really quite matched the, uh, the, the expectation and the needs of a club like Manchester City. But he's still a brilliant player. Uh, I don't think he's been terrible in Manchester City. I really don't. I think he's. I think he's been decent. But obviously, Man City need a bit more than decent. Um, but again, I, th- I think he'd be st- taking a massive step down if he joined us again. Um, but you know, I, and of course, Brendan Rodgers doesn't have any connection with Borney. He he wasn't the one who signed him. It was Loudrop who signed him. Um, so I don't think Borney coming back is realistic. If I'm honest. The Joe Allen one may be a little bit more realistic. I mean, Brendan Rodgers did a lot for Allen in his career. Um, and, it, and Allen would make a big difference to our team. He really would, having a player of that quality. Um, I'm just not really sure he'd be interested in taking that much of a step down. Gotcha. So, Zach, I mean, we may as well start off with that. Uh, would you like to have seen Joe Allen start against Tottenham? And do you think he's been playing particularly well? Um, I've actually, well, since since he signed for Liverpool, I've been a massive sort of fan and defender of Joe Allen. I think when he's in form, legit, he's he's probably when he's in his best form, he's probably our best midfielder. Um, which is, you know, some people probably disagree with that because obviously Emery Jones come on leaps and bounds this season, and obviously Henderson's the captain. But in terms of like centre mids, like when he's playing really well, he's 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 a very good player. Um. I've I've actually just written a piece recently about Joe Allen and the fact that he's probably going in this summer transfer window because obviously club doesn't really seem to fancy him. Um, even though you would think he's sort of like the archetypal Klopp player, you know, hard working, can keep the ball in tight spaces, um, he's up and down. Um, to be honest, I I would like to keep Allen. Um, don't really know. Um, if he's one of those players that should be high enough on the priority list, you know, to eject out of a cannon um, at the start of the window. Um, and he's, you know, we are probably right in saying that he's playing the, some of the best football of his career. Um, but the thing is with Alan, and I did mention this in the article that I wrote for Anfield Index, is that one minute it can be like truly a very good Premier League standard. And then li- literally the next minute he can, he can be blindingly average. Um, the biggest example, the two biggest, biggest exam, examples, sorry, that um, stand out in my head. Um, recently, we played Southampton, obviously lost 3 2 before the international break. Um, we were 2 0 up, um, playing some of the best football that I've seen Liverpool play since um, since we finished second. And Joe Allen was, was literally the heartbeat of, of this football alongside uh, Coutinho, Firmino, St- you know, Stuart. They were all bouncing off each other. Um, and we're playing this beautiful football, and he and he and he's there's this one move where we just slice Southampton to bits, and he ends up going clean through, and 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 you know he gets saved because it's nowhere near the corner, and I know he's not like he's not supposed to be amazing at finishing, he's not he's not you know he's not a striker, he's not not meant to be Sturridge or Vardy or whoever, but it's sort of like a team that wants to finish top four and wants to win the title or. You know stuff like that, which you know, as Liverpool fans, we want to be challenging for those sort of honours. Um, you know, that's not it's not going to be enough. Um, last then the last time that happened, we were, we were um, two one up against Everton at Goodison Park um, in the season when we, when we did finish second, and he misses an, a, the same one on one basically, but in the opposite corner, and we end up drawing three three, and that's two points dropped in the title race. It was earlier in the season, so we didn't know we were in the title race, but still, you look back at those moments and. 
it's just weird how like a player can be can be so good and confident one moment and then literally a few minutes later can can do something so so poor. So I don't you know I think maybe that's something Klopp sees in the fact that he's not he's not going to be consistent enough. Um, and it does hurt me to say because I actually really do like Joe Allen both as a, like as a person off the field. He seems like a really dedicated pro, and as a player, so it's one of those. I think it's just um, I thought that manager would really like him, but it turns out that I just don't think he he he, um, he sees him as quite good enough. And I think Joe Allen would strengthen quite a few teams in the Premier League, such as maybe West Ham. Um, you know, guaranteed, pretty much guaranteed at the moment. Top top. Um, Top half side, Stoke, Southampton, teams like this um, that are challenging for the Europa League and teams that are all ahead of Liverpool anyway. So, yeah, I agree. I don't think he's going. I don't think he'd want to step down to Swansea. I think he's. Um, I think he's. He's probably looking at Europa League level rather than at Swansea type level. No offense. Mm. Fair enough. And uh, obviously, there was a small match yesterday between our two clubs. How did you see that one? Um, well, it was a, it was a good game. Um, good Fantastic watch! League. It really was. It was. It was. It, considering it was only one one, it was. You know, people usually attribute goals to being a good game, but in terms of tactics and you know pure heart and adrenaline, like it was a really good game. Um, I think I think whenever Tottenham and Liverpool get together, it's usually a good game. I think it's similar to that in Liverpool and Arsenal, in that every time we get together, it seems to be a good game. Um, neither team knows really any other way other than to attack in in a high octane way. Um, it 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 was good. It was a good game. The, the two, obviously the two standout moments were um, the t- you know two of the best players on the pitch, Harry Kane and Felipe Coutinho, two outstanding finishes. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I think Tottenham was slightly the better side um, in the game. Uh, I think you're the first team all season to outshoot us at Anfield, which is Mm. I know, I know, you've got uh, big, bigger, bigger accolades to slay, but at least, at least if uh, if you don't win the league, you can say <laughs> you did that. Do we get a trophy for that? <laughs> you get, you get, you get a little medal and a box of cookies off off your <laughs> and a big hug like uh, Harry Kane did yesterday. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was a really good game. Um, I, I was really disappointed that we didn't win it. Simply not not because we deserved to win, just that in the fact that because we dropped points against Southampton, I would I would have. Um, you know, I'd have taken a draw if we'd have won that game, but because we didn't win that game, I was just like, I cannot be fucked not winning this game. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, ah, I was really disappointed not to win it. Especially, it seemed it seemed to like with about five minutes ago, you got the upper hand, but I think like the ten minutes before that, say between seventy five and eighty five ish, we we seemed to just suddenly found like a second wind and we're and we're yeah. pushing on space, us like a lot of yo, space developed towards the end of that match. Yeah, because people were getting tired. And I thought well, because yeah, we both we, pressed we the entire this. time. I know it's just literally like so it's, it's like if it was a game of FIFA, everyone was just running around holding sprint constantly. <laughs> everyone was just manic. It was a. Uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. It was, um, it was a good game. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, somebody on Twitter was telling me a draw wasn't a fair result because Liverpool had chances, but Tottenham also had chances, which is why I felt the draw was fair. I, I do think it's um, it, it was probably frustrating from a Liverpool perspective that that chance was the one that went in. We had a lot more simple chances than that. <laughs> um but just yeah. a, a couple moments of brilliance from Ericsson and Kane and bang the goal, the, the game's level. Um, the Sun volley is a was a huge chance. Della Ali uh, 
with, with too heavy of a chest control, having gotten past everyone. In the first minute of the match, uh, Kyle Walker could have played Sun in on goal, but overhit the overhit the pass. So there there were a lot of opportunities for both sides, and, and like you said, it was a very very fascinating uh, match to watch. Before the game, Safe and I were talking about the difference between the two pressing systems and how interesting it is that Liverpool press up to the last line of defense, but Tottenham press all the way to the goalkeeper. Um, and uh, in the past, we've struggled against teams that press us, especially along that back line. I'd be interested to hear if, if you agree with this, Zach. You were pressing very well, but it never really felt like you were forcing more difficult passes. It felt like we were still pretty controlled during it, which we don't usually do. I I don't know if that's just that we've gotten more used to playing against it in training, but like you were applying tons of pressure, but we didn't feel pressured, if that makes any sense. It definitely makes sense. Um, I saw because of the two teams, like a lot of people were talking about pressing and, you know, ball recoveries and stuff on Twitter. So I I have picked up a few few stats about this. Um, I think I'm I'm right in saying... Um, Tottenham picked up um, an interception or a ball recovery in Liverpool's half. About it, this is like in in either opposition's half, mm. um, like three times or four times more than Liverpool. And that, I think that sort of matches up with what you're saying in the fact that you press up literally to the goalkeeper, whereas we were pressing up to um, up to the defense. And it seemed that we, even though we were pressing, your, your fullbacks um, seems to get a lot of the ball and. It weren't really giving it away. Um, it, that's that's certainly um, what a couple of people were commenting on 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 Twitter, um, and I was noticing. So, I think maybe it, it it could be a mixture of the two in the fact that you, I think Tottenham are quite good at keeping hold of the ball, and you know you have practice with it in training, and Tottenham's pressing is is amazing. So, you know, practice it, the practice you will get in training will pay for this kind of this kind of thing, especially if Liverpool's pressing it was. A couple, even a couple of percent lesser than um, what Spurs produce. So, yeah, I think it. I think um, Tottenham were, were in reasonable control, and I, th- I don't think that was aided by the fact that a few Liverpool players weren't very good in the first half. Um, the second half, I think yeah. we performed a little bit better, um, such as for example Sacco and Henderson. Yeah, Henderson yeah. literally was anonymous for the first half, but in the second half, kind of stood up a little bit more, uh, which we definitely needed from him because you were just. You know, it seemed at times you were just rampant through, through the midfield, and we were getting dominated in there. Dembele had a good game. Um, you know, he's a strong player. He was um, at times he was just brushing people off. So, yeah, you, you, it it was definitely a case of seeming in control, despite the fact it was like a, a helter skelter of a game. Yeah, coming into this match, I, I said in a couple of places that I thought whoever won the battle of Dembele and Chan would win this match. And I think it ended up kind of ending up being fairly level, which I think was reflected yeah. uh, in the scoreline. Not to toot my own horn, but there you go. Um, in other news, uh, despite not picking up the win and Leicester picking up their win, so we, we fall in seven back. Harry Kane did score again, which gives him 22 goals, which means he has scored more goals in one season than any Tottenham player in history, which is quite the feat. Obviously, still have... Some matches left here for him to increase that. It looks like he would now be the favorite for the Golden Boot. I don't know what that means come award season. A lot of votes are probably already in. So if people were going to go for Vardy, that may still happen. If you're going Team of the Year, it's probably both of them. Um, which would be harsh on Lukaku, but he looked really poor today. And and he does that every now and again, which uh, is very frustrating. He's the kind of player you want to look at the end of season statistics if you want to 
feel really great about him. Not the kind you want to watch every week. Uh, unfortunately, a little bit like Benteke, which I'm not sure the Liverpool scouting team really uh, <laughs> looked at too in depth. Uh, do you do you think you'll sell him in the summer? Already, I really, really hope so. <laughs> he just doesn't fit what you're trying to do, like Dude, at he, all. He, no, he, he didn't. Stretch. He didn't even fit with what Brendan Rodgers was trying to do. So <laughs> true. Like, you know, it's just. But Rodgers tried to buy two of them because he got Balotelli and. <laughs> yeah, we, it was called in the summer. I mean, you know, it just doesn't work at all. Klopp doesn't fancy him. Um, his injury for Belgium is probably a, a blessing in disguise because. Every time we bring Origi on um, instead of Benteke, and it pans over to Benteke's sad little face, sat on the bench like, "But I'm worth 32 million." Like it just adds. It, <laughs> is it is just that keep... your mental voice for yeah. his, little, his little whiny, whiny voice? <laughs> cool. oh, I can't believe Klopp's ignoring me. <laughs> like, oh my god, mate, you deserve to be ignored. It just doesn't fit. I mean, to He's be fair, so many clear cut chances. Yeah, for you. It's exactly. In terms of like in-game statistics, um, he's he's doing his bit. Like in terms of like, yeah, you 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 are getting exactly what it said on the tin when you bought it. Like you know, he's winning the same amount of duels, aerial duels. He's finishing basically one in three, which is not good enough, especially some of the chances that he has been given. Um, so yeah, it's just like, p- please, next time you sign a player, think more about it and don't just be like. Yeah, let's sign a player who scored 15 goals in three different seasons or something. No, it, look look further into it. Like, how did the team that he was playing for match with him, etc.? So, it's just one of them. Please learn from it. Um, but he was Premier League proven. That's a joke. We're going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> it is a joke. Uh, it is. <laughs> also, uh, I've been pretty critical of Ericsson throughout a lot of this year. And I realize that some of it isn't his fault. He was played out of position a lot. Della Ali has taken a lot of that creative burden onto himself. And Lamela has been playing better, so he's been commanding more of the ball. But this is the first year Eriksen has hit 10 assists for Tottenham, which I thought was really interesting and is one of those things that kind of counters the narrative, um, both on the whole and my own. Uh, just one where you're like, oh, well, maybe I need to look more in depth onto, into how he's been playing. Because you don't think of him having to do much other than just create. But because we have Ali and Lamela doing that, it means he's probably tracking back more, but you don't think that he would need to with Dembele and Dyer back there. Um, but anyway, that's that's a statistical uh, insight I'm going to try to gain over this week, and hopefully we'll come back to you guys a bit more informed than my, uh, my, my opinion at first blush, which was that he was not having a particularly good year. And assists does not equal good year by any stretch, but I, I think it definitely uh, is enough of a question mark to have to look into. All right, so we talked about tactics a fair bit there already which is pretty convenient as we head into the topic, which is we spoke a couple weeks ago about the dwindling number of British managers in the Premier League, down to six now. If you average where all of their clubs are, they'd be 14th in the league. What do you guys think foreign managers offer that makes them so much more desirable? Because all of our clubs most recently had a British manager and now have a foreign manager. Is, is that something that you think is telling of it? or Do you think it's tactics or mentality or experience or even price? that's causing so many foreign managers to get the nod and often succeed more? I don't think it's price. Um, I, 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 I really don't think that's much of a, an issue. Um, my, it's, it's a combination. I don't think managers are, English managers in particular, but, but British managers more, more generally are as tactically aware um, as 
you know the best foreign managers. Uh, and the Premier, it's important to remember the Premier League can often choose a, a, of some of the best um, foreign managers going. Um, and and you know you look the the most recent sackings. Uh, well, the most recent sacking among the English managers was Stephen McLaren, a man who, by all accounts, is a very very good coach. But his the criticism that he's received throughout his career is that tactically he's just not aware enough to really make it as a manager. Um, and that that's a criticism, you know, that you can level at, at so many other English managers who failed. Um, Tim Sherwood certainly falls into that category. Sack, you know, let go by uh, by Spurs, uh, and of course did a shambolic job at, at Aston Villa this season. And I think that's one of the big reasons. But one of the other ones is that if you look at the foreign managers that are working in the Premier League at the moment, for the most part, they are managers who do have quite a considerable amount of experience working in various leagues across Europe. So it would make sense, really, to appoint those managers ahead of English managers who actually, in a sort of vicious circle kind of way, don't get the chance to to gain that experience. Um, So you have the situation where uh, English managers don't have experience of managing top-level clubs and therefore they're not really considered by them uh, and they will always go for a Spanish, a German manager or an Italian manager, etc., who does have years of experience um, behind them. So I think it is a bit of a... Uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily because they're not good enough, but def- you know, definitely I think the English managers who have been given a go in the Premier League tend not to be as tactically aware as managers are abroad yeah it, it does certainly feel like that like you you look at Sam Allardyce or or Tony Pulis and it looks very clear it's it's very this is what we're trying to do and then it's just a matter of do they do it or not really more than adjustments like I know um Dan from Baggies Facts was on and we were talking about how there was a match when they were down one nil and their plan b was to still play defensively which <laughs> they were already down a goal um, I, I don't think Mark Hughes has gotten enough credit for what he's been doing uh, this year at Stoke. I think he's just kind of glossed by. Uh, I, I think I, it's a good point that you raise about how most of the foreign managers are very experienced. That isn't something that I, I wrote up in my notes because that's not my personal experience. Because Pochettino wasn't that experienced when he took over at Southampton, um, which obviously was uh, heavily criticized because of, of who was ousted for him. Um, but he had pretty much just come from Espanol. But, yeah, if you look at most of them, like, and the most successful one right now, Ranieri, has obviously been around for quite a while. I do think that the experience thing is a good point. And it, it's mimicked in players in the Premier League, where we have so many foreign players coming in that very often young English talent isn't really getting a chance to flourish. So, And then it is self-cycling, like you mentioned, that... You have players in their way, so they don't develop as much. So when they get a chance, they're not as good as other foreign players who can come in and cut them off. I think it's a, a very good point. Zach, obviously, you got rid of Rodgers, who was the most successful of all of our British managers. But now you have Klopp. Is is the experience, you think, a part of that? Um, Potentially, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I, the experience thing's a bit weird because, like, um, it's sort of like, the, there's obviously, no, there are some... There's going to be some foreign coaches out there that don't have experience, you know. So it's I don't know. It it depends. Obviously, it depends who you sign. Like Pochettino's not that old, so he can't have had 
that much experience before he signed to yeah, Southampton. Yeah, and AVB we did as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's, that's a bit of a way. But I think, honestly, I do believe it's just tactically. Um, obviously, there are a lot of good British coaches, um, as we've already alluded to. Steve McLaren is widely known for being a good coach. Fergie rated him very highly with United. He's, he's high, He was highly regarded in the England setup before Broly Gate. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Um, I think it's I think it's just something to do with I don't know if it's English sort of like psyche, um, you know, or like sort of like mythology that we have to be like, you know, all gusto and brave and hard tackling and whereas other cultures I don't know if it, yeah, it could just be a cultural thing. I mean like for example, Chabi Alonso, he goes on and he, he always used to preach that tackling was a last resort, not a skill that you should perfect. You know, you know what I mean. Like, it shouldn't be something that you go into the game. You should always yeah, be great. in the right position, so you don't yeah, need to. Or... Exactly. So, like, it, it shouldn't be something that you go into thinking, "Yeah, I'm gonna have to do a lot of tackling today." Chabi Alonso would just would say, "I just, I just need to keep the ball well today. Oh, I, I need to make sure my positioning relative to my teammates is good today." So th- maybe that's a cultural thing, or maybe it's it, it's it's simply something that foreign coaches have been trained to ingrained into their players for a longer amount of time than we have. I think English football is is kind of waking up to being better technically. Um, I think even under Hodgson, the English England English national team, sorry, has has gone under a, a decent transformation in terms of the way they want to play. I mean, we don't go long very often anymore. It's quite against Germany and Netherlands most recently. We did knit together quite a few nice moves, and it it, it looks quite promising at times. It was all fast on the floor in tight spaces, pacey players. So. Yeah, the, Maybe there the is, party um, goal was yeah, really exactly. well. Barkley to that, Walker back yeah, in. Yeah, that was yeah. the one. It was a, that was a really that was a really nice goal and so maybe there is um, some forward thinking and some forward movement only time will tell. But um yeah, I, just, I don't know. British managers don't just seem to be able to do a good job with with mid-table-ish and below teams, you know, West Brom keep the division I think the the best at the moment is Mark Hughes. I mean, he's he's doing very well. He's signing the right kind of players. He's literally changed the entire ethos of a club without like taking them, you know, down and then having to bring them back up. I mean, instead of taking them down, you know, giving them time to adapt to a new philosophy or a new formation, a new style of play, etc. Um, he's just quietly he's added more attacking players. To yeah, that club. he's literally just saying, "Yeah, I want to attack more. I want to attack more." More. I'm not sure he told the to... board that. I think he just bought <laughs> one player at a time, and they just slowly yeah. started moving up the pitch. Ended up with ten attacking mids. <laughs> yeah. get, get me some smaller players. By the <laughs> way, Athelai is playing like, the best football of his career right now. Yeah, he's, he's, doing, crazy. he's doing very well. Yeah, it's just, um, and I suppose it, that is, it is good to see Mark Hughes doing well. To be honest, because. Um, he, for a long time he did get a bad rap because obviously he had loads of money at City and ended up getting sacked and his time at QPR was just, you know, funny. So, yeah, it's good. Mark Hughes is sort of flying the flag, I suppose, for British coaching right now. Is, is there anyone above him? In terms, the table, um, no, I think in the, yeah, that's what I mean, in the table. So, yeah, at the minute he's flying the flag for British coaching. I mean, Brendan Rodgers, a great example is Brendan Rodgers, obviously being a Liverpool fan, I know this. Um, he he had a team that was playing the exact kind of football that everyone wants to see, you know, like on the floor, quick, pace it, fast um, interchanges, um, you know, attack to defence phases really quickly. 
Uh, and uh, sorry, defense to attack, not attack to defense. No one wants to do that. Defense to attack quickly. <laughs> we gave the you ball know. away so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he he just sort of like reverted to British type in getting in a big striker and then another big striker after preaching that that's not how he wanted to be when we had Andy Carroll and he loaned him out and then sold him. So I don't know. It's it's like ingrained in them. It's like how do we get people away from wanting big strikers? all the time, even if they are, you know, apparently good at linking up play, which is, I think, why he wanted to get Benteke in. But Benteke's so, pass accuracy wasn't it. even that good. So if you're right, no, it's terrible. To hold it up and pass it, he exactly. doesn't do it that well. Also, that's why Lukaku is having as decent a year as he is this year. Because last year his pass accuracy was like 40%, and now it's at least up in the 50s. But yeah, the, the notion of the big man heading it down to the smaller... It has not been as successful lately because all the smaller players are getting quicker and more able to intercept those lanky players like Crouch. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I think it's... Hopefully, it's something that British football eventually just gets away from. I've got no problem with having a big striker as long as, you know, he can actually use his feet and he doesn't stop you playing like any other type of football other than long ball or crossing football, which is exactly what British managers seem to absolutely love. And <laughs> to be fair, ben Brendan Rodgers went back to this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's my take on it. I think I think sometimes it's just backwards thinking, but I think there, there are a couple that were trying to get away from that. And Rodgers looked like he was trying to get away from it. And, and he looked like he was eschewing for like the England job and like he was going to be, yeah, we got a good British manager who plays European football and then... We signed big strikers. <laughs> yeah, and then another person that was kind of up for that job was Alan Pardew the first half of the year. They were playing very enterprising football, and, and to an extent they are now again. If, if you look at when all the trouble started, I, I want to say like the minute Bolassi went down, and then they just didn't know how to cope with that. Obviously they were having issues at forward because Wickham wasn't scoring. Bringing out of Bayor potentially wasn't the answer. Wickham has been playing better, but now he's hurt again which is problematic. But you do have some good coaches we mentioned last time. Eddie Howe at Bournemouth has done an incredible job with what he's had there. Gary Monk will find a new job. Actually, this is a good question for you. He said he'd be willing to take the Villa job now and coach them next year in the championship. He should get another Premier League job. I think he's crazy if he goes for the Villa job. but Well, I I think it's a poison chalice by every stretch. I I think whoever, I I mean, I, I know a Villa fan who said that they 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 all want Nigel Pearson because, in his words, they've done well with crazy managers in the past. Um, mm. So they want so they want another absolutely, and they don't get crazier than Nigel Pearson. They really don't. I mean, the man is probably a serial killer. Let's face it. Um, and, but, <laughs> the views shared by Gitto Llewellyn yes, are not necessarily. Yeah, that, I would I would just like to clarify that is that is tongue in cheek. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not accusing Nigel Pearson of going out in the middle of the night and and killing people. <laughs> Although secretly, <clears throat> anyway, moving on. Um, but he's, um, but but yeah, I mean, Gary, but um, Gary Monk probably is good enough. I think he's done enough. I think he should have done enough at Swansea to earn himself another crack in the Premier League. But you look at the trend at the moment, and it is difficult for man, young um, homegrown managers to get a foot in the door. Um, He's he. I mean, he did brilliantly at Swansea in his first season. Things went wrong in the second half, but there is still a very good young manager there. And he has. I mean, this week he's been away in Seville, um, speaking with Unai Emery, picking up tips there. You know, he's, he is. 
a, a young coach who's very eager to learn all the time. You know, he, he should really be an extremely attractive proposition. But the feeling I get is that he probably will have to drop down to the championship. But even if you look at the championship, nearly half the managers there aren't English. Um, you, you know, and, and some of the managers towards the top of the league. I mean, Sean Dyche is currently top of the league, who obviously is uh, an up-and-coming young um, English manager. Um, and Steve Bruce uh, is still at Hull, although the opposite of young and upcoming. Yes, yes, and, and the same kind of thing. Chris Hewton. I don't actually think Chris Hewton counts as English. Uh, I think he is because he played for the Republic of Ireland, even though he was one of the um, the, the massive swathe of English players who suddenly found Irish grandparents um, <laughs> in the early nineties and late eighties. You know, but um, but you know, you got people like Ito Karanka being brought in by Middlesbrough, who are one of you know the richest clubs in the division. They're looking abroad to bring to bring managers in. Sheffield Wednesday now have had the most successful season that they have had in well since they definitely since they were relegated from the from the Premier League and God knows how long ago that was but that's because they've got Carvajal now that you know he's 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 doing a, a they've he, and he has just made them far more tactically aware you know getting a Portuguese manager in after years and years and years of dire homegrown managers you know um it it seems to be the preferred route for more and more championship clubs now as they look to get that, you know, get rich quick scheme of promotion into Premier League. So it, it's becoming harder even for managers in the Football League to get a chance. Um, it, it is very, very tough, I think, for, for homegrown managers to, to get a start there. And, you know, we often criticise them for not being tactically aware enough. Like Like you pointed out, I think there are more and more young English managers coming through now who are trying to bet themselves, trying to learn, um, you know, tacti- to learn to be better tactically and, and to become more effective managers. But um, unless you get that chance, you know, you're not going to be able to put it into practice. And once you do get that chance, I, I just think we're a little bit quick to judge as well, homegrown managers. And it doesn't help then when you get somebody like Tim Sherwood being given a chance who, is is just the ultimate Mike Bassett type manager. He's he's just uh, clueless when it comes to tactics, but he's the one that gets the chance. My, Steve McLaren is the one that gets the chance. These are managers who really fit the mold in many cases. I know McLaren's a bit different because he's been abroad, but they're managers who fit a certain mold and a certain stereotype of being motivators, but not actually very tactically aware. Um, and it does you know give can give british managers a bad reputation and it adds to the sense that foreign managers are fashionable foreign managers are the ones that you need to be looking at if you are looking to be successful that that's just the way most clubs are thinking these days yeah obviously um it's kind of been similar both of our clubs where you basically have one british manager one foreign manager one british manager and then you just rotate back and forth like we did with uh wande and harry and uh, AVB and Sherwood and now Potch. So the next, really, the answer to who is the next great British manager is going to be whoever we bring in when Potch leaves us. Um, but no, it, it is a very interesting conversation. A name that we haven't mentioned, uh, David Moyes, probably set to come back to England. Gary Neville, who just had his failed managerial uh, stint at Valencia cut short, now coming back. Are we thinking that either of them will, will continue to get managerial chances? I mean, probably probably Moyes will get a chance next season, one would think. Definitely. Definitely. I, I mean, there are plenty of teams down 
the Baltimore. I'm looking at the, the table now, though. I don't know. Like, okay, so Eddie Howe is locked on at Bournemouth. Interesting. Could Moyes take back Everton? I, I mean, I'm married to the idea of Bielsa going to Everton. I think that would be phenomenal. But, hmm. I mean, Swansea, it sounds like you already have a replacement in line. Palace aren't going to give up on par, do you? And then the bottom four are all going down. Whichever team has a tough start to the next season, and and Moyes will be available, and he's a solid. What if it's West Brom? What if after all this time of Dan complaining about them playing boring defensive football, they finally get rid of Pulis and then brought in David Moyes? I'd want them forcibly relegated if that was to happen. Oh, he'd be so upset about that. Sorry, Dan, <laughs> if you're listening. I didn't mean to mention it because now the board are going to listen. Now they're going to do that. <laughs> That'd definitely be interesting. Now that I've mentioned um, Gary Neville, thinking that he should stick in management or do you think he'll just head back to punditry where it's safe for a few years? I think he should go into coaching. Yeah? I mean, not. I don't mean... Um, it's I think it's a problem he got such a high-profile job. Since. Yeah, I mean, th- that's actually one of the points I meant to make earlier um, in you know, in the comparison between foreign and English managers. I think a lot of English managers want to, or British managers, sorry, um, want to jump the gun and, you know, want a, a place in the top two championship and Premier League. You know, they want a place there straight away. And Gary Neville going to Valencia, I can't believe he didn't see that opportunity and just think, I'm going to get absolutely roasted doing this. Like, I'm not going to do well. I mean, yeah, you can be confident. Because the expectation would have been top five. Yeah. And they I mean, weren't Valencia there when the he biggest took clubs. it. It's <laughs> one of the biggest clubs in Europe in terms of, like, you know, people know who they are, prestige. And Gary Neville has got no experience in managing a squad of players. He's been in a squad of players and seen how other people have managed it. And he's, you know, he's got a keen eye for the game and potentially a very good coach. He, he's, he's spoken of very well um, in the England setup. But, you know, in terms of actually managing a squad and going out there and getting results, I, I can't believe he took it. And if I was him, I I know if he doesn't go into, straight into another management post now, he's going to look, you know, weak. He's going to, that's basically admitting that he made the wrong decision. Um, you know, people are going to say, oh, he's going back into his shell. But I think he could do a lot worse than going than go to some, you know, be someone's assistant and just um, establish himself in the game for maybe four or five years. I mean, is he even 40 yet? I don't think he is. And if he is, he's early 40. So he's got a long time to go. He doesn't need to go in, you know, he doesn't need to go into that pressure cooker straight away. I mean, learning as a coach, especially if you're one of the, just of the backroom coaches um, who gets, this, you know, they, they take they take a lot less heat than the manager. I mean, when when results don't go right, the players don't even take that much flack. It's usually the manager. Um, no one ever says like, oh, we've just lost 5-1. That bloody assistant manager, he's crap. And <laughs> You know what I mean? No one says that. Go and do that for <laughs> a few years. How brilliant would it be if you did hear that? <laughs> Swansea fans, <laughs> yeah. Swansea fans didn't enough. actually react that way. We did At the start of the season, when things were going badly, we blamed James Beattie. Because he because he was being brought he'd been brought in the summer he was the new arrival as Monk's assistant so it was bound to be James Beatty's fault it, it was wow. crazy bloody <laughs> James Beatty um, but yeah I think he does need to do it I think a lot of English English managers are, t- are too um, too impatient with going a going for the jobs in the first place and b going into a high profile job. Um, I mean, cutting your teeth in the lower leagues is a completely sound thing to do. I mean, 
Roberto Martinez, I know he's not British, but he cut his, his uh, teeth lower down with Swansea and Wigan. Um, same with Brendan Rodgers. And, you know, I think that's something that they should do. And on the point of Neville and Moyes coming back into the Premier League, I can't really see who they're going to, who they'd slot into because there's going to be another high-profile European manager on the market in summer, and that's going to be Rafa Benitez because he's not going to go down with Newcastle. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, Pellegrini, if he wants to stay in England. He goes back to Spain. Exactly. But he said Pellegrini he wants to stay in England. Yeah, and Benitez loves England. His family still lives in in um, just outside Liverpool, as far as I know. So, and I think that's one of the reasons he took the Newcastle job because he was closer to his family. So, you know, there's going to be two more, you know, European accredited managers on on the on the potential list, and potentially two managers that are going to take mid table jobs if they come available, especially Rafa Benitez because he's just taken the Newcastle one, so he's obviously open to to a mid-table job. So, yeah, I don't really see where Moyes and Neville could fit in, even if they wanted to, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, you mentioning being willing to, to be an assistant for a little bit has just reminded me that Giggs, if he doesn't get the United job, which he thinks he deserves, assuming that that does go to Mourinho, as pretty much everyone is reporting, now Giggs is probably going to think that he deserves a Premier League role or... And you were saying it to like they maybe there won't be championship places for him to to cut his teeth on. Any ideas where Giggs might end up? I have absolutely no idea, and I don't understand that notion either. How can Giggs manage Manchester United? Come on, man! I, I don't know. It's like it's like it's like people. Some people were calling for Steven Gerrard and Jamie Carragher to take over at Liverpool. Mm. Come on, we'd go down. Like we actually yeah. would go down, and seriously, Giggs is not the answer for United. But it worked Absolutely at Barcelona, no unquote. Oh, everybody yeah. backing that. <laughs> but like, you know, they've literally had a philosophy in place for about a hundred years or something. Like <laughs> everyone just no, and you know, coupled with the fact Guardiola, for example, took over what was almost a world. You know, they were on the brink of being world class. Not to take away from Guardiola because you know he's he, he puts them on the pitch. He Everyone speaks super highly of him and everyone knows that he has his own tactics that he imprints on the game. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from him. You know, if Giggs took over this side with, at the moment, the two best players are probably Rashford and Martial, who are about 14. So, <laughs> like, how how is Giggs the answer for United? This is like one of the biggest clubs in the world. There's absolutely no way he can manage that side. No way. I, 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 I Honestly, I'd love to see it happen just to see the meltdown because they'd finish ninth or something. Like so, I, I I can't see it. I mean, Giggs is another one. Like you do, just stay in your role, mate. You're an assistant manager, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Underneath the manager, okay, he's not doing brilliantly, but the guy's got so much experience. He's mm. done it at international level. He's done it all over Europe. Okay, United are not performing brilliantly, but still, there's still things to be learnt there. I think he just needs to be patient and wait for it because. At the minute, he's posturing for it far too much. He's kind of like whoring himself to like the board, and you know Mourinho's going to get it in the end. You know, it's like it's like when they're losing at home, and he's like in the ninety-second minute, and there's only three, there's only one minute to go, and he's still giving instructions, you know, as if to say, "Oh, look at me, look how proactive I'm still trying to make a difference. I won't give up. I know the club. No, you're not ready. That's just, that's just it. It's a fact." Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with most of that. Uh, a thought occurs here, Gitto. What's the managerial situation at Cardiff at the moment? Russell Slade's stock is higher than it's ever been. Um, they won against Derby over the weekend. They're just outside the playoffs now. They probably will make the playoffs. 
Um, I don't think they're good enough to go up. But but Russell Slade, in fairness, he's taken a lot of flack from Cardiff fans. They really haven't liked him. Um, but considering he does he wear to... blue instead, or does he wear red yeah. instead of blue? <laughs> but but <laughs> consider considering they've had to sell all of their their squad, they're basically their entire squad, and they haven't replaced it. I think he's done a really good job. I, I I've always quite liked Russell Slade for what he's done in the lower leagues. And um, I, it it scares me a little bit that now things are starting to go well again at Cardiff. They had more than 25,000 at their game over the weekend, um, which is by miles their highest attendance of the season. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to fear now that Russell Slade is actually the, the calming influence um, that the Cardiff have needed all these years. Um, and even though I, I still don't think they're going up this season... Um, you know, he's doing a pretty good job there, I have to admit. All right, uh, well, now let's head into Player Watch. We're going to quickly talk about the players that impressed and disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. We'll start with you, Gitto. Uh, impressed, uh, I would say probably Jeffs Montero. Um, he, like I said earlier, has been off form, massively off form for so long now. He was playing with the under-21s a few weeks ago. Um, but he really sent a message that he can still do a job and hopefully they can keep going and keep regaining the form um, that he's had. He's coming up against Ivanovic soon as well and he, he, he really did brutally murder Ivanovic earlier on in the season. So um, if he can repeat that, that would be brilliant. Um, disappointing, actually. Unusually, it was Leon Britton, um, which is something I, I never, ever, ever say. Um, but I, I don't know if he was fully fit, but uh, his first touch was off. Um, passing wasn't what it should have been uh, and um, he, he really needed taking off in that match and um, Montero came on for him actually uh, and changed the game but um, Leon has still been one of our best players this season and continues to be one of the greatest human beings that's ever lived <laughs> Definitely not overselling him there uh, Zach, who impressed and who disappointed for Liverpool? Um, I think the Liverpool-Tottenham game was the tale of two centre-backs. Um, Lovren had a very good first half against Tottenham, whereas Sacco had a dire first half. Um, Lovren then had a okay second half, and Lovren had, uh, sorry, and Sacco had an improved second half. So I think I probably beans as we expect better from Sacco. centre-back for, for Did I just say it back to front? No, 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 you're fine. I'm just saying basically oh. half of each centre-back is the player that disappointed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they, they both kind of let, let us down with, you know, Lovren got too tight to Kane, um, but he still played decent in the second half. Um, yeah, I'll say that Lovren was the player that impressed us. Um, he played very well in the first half, covered for Sacco a couple of times. Um, you know, Kane just did him in the second half of the goal. It was a really good finish. I mean... He's wow, done it, it to better centre-backs. So. Yeah, he's done it to better players, so, you know, he, he can't be too disappointed. Um, but, yeah, Sa- we expect better of Sacco. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, to be honest. Sacco, I'll say Sacco was the guy who let us down, but I think the the, the thing with Liverpool centre-backs in the minute, they, they all divide opinions so much, and, the, you know, people have their own agendas, and it, it always, always descends into an argument. Um People people think Lovren's better than Skirl, uh, Sorry, better than Sacco. People think Sacco's better than Lovren. Blah blah blah. If Sacco plays anything below a seven out of ten, so let's say a six, he gets slated. If Lovren does anything above a four, because how poor he was in his first season, <laughs> he gets praised. So 
Like Lovren gets played uh, praised for doing the exact same thing as Sacco, let's say a five or a six out of ten when when either player is playing averagely, and one of them gets praised for this, the other one gets slated, and you know it is it's really tiresome from a. Uh, some, so, I was I was so anti Lovren in his first season. Jesus, he was so bad. But I, when he's played well, I've, I've definitely praised him. I always do, and I always say when Sacco's disappointed me, and he did this weekend. Um, but Lovren impressed me, and I don't get the 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 um the arguments that that start up on Twitter and social media, etc. So, yeah, that 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 that's my two pennies. But yeah, that Lovren impressed Sacco. Um, disappointed but other than that played at almost the same level apparently. yeah the, <laughs> if you average it out it was kind of the same level because Lovren made you know he got too tight to Kane and ended up giving the goal away mm. so does Lovren have a future at Liverpool now has he been that okay um since Klopp came in definitely definite improvement I mean um, like he could be in the squad Rogers I'm not saying he can crash. be your your starter every I week I think um uh, to be honest, up until Southampton, um, obviously going back there maybe stirred up a lot of emotion. He, he, he was playing okay up until Southampton. Um, he had a bit of a shaky time against United in the Europa League, um, but but recovered and, and did okay. Southampton, when he got subbed at halftime and the skirtle came on, up until that moment, Liverpool looked really tight. I think we'd conceded three goals in about 800 minutes of Premier League football, um, or 700, and... You know, it, it kind of looked like the Sacco-Lovren partnership was like, you know, decent, definitely adequate. You know, maybe another, you know, get a pre-season un, under the um, under Klopp spell with the players and it can maybe it'd be even more solid, especially if maybe we were to sign a defensive midfielder um, and maybe a more solid left-back if, if, if that's what Klopp wants. I mean, I, I have nothing against Moreno, but obviously there are better defensive left-backs out there. So, yeah, it was looking like a decent decent unit but you know as soon as Skirtle came on everyone looked panicky again and then at times everyone looked panicky again like Sacco was super solid up until Skirtle came on and then it's as if like that horrible experience of the second half against Southampton with Skirtle continued into the Spurs game and he was just like Sacco was tackling himself basically at times against Tottenham (laughs) like it was it was harsh to watch (laughs) so um uh yeah, like Lovren, could he could he be in the side? Um, I don't know. There's, there's other places that could potentially could be done first, like a goalkeeper. I really want a new goalkeeper. Mm. Um, How insane but, is it that Barcelona want their asking price for Ter Stegen? I think yeah, seventy million euros they listed him at. Like he's not getting a game. What are you doing? I think that's just posturing. I don't, I don't think he'd, he'd ever go for that. I think he's going to go to City anyway because I think that's you know. Guardiola has been tipped to get him already. Um, Joe Hart's not the best with his feet. To Stegen, pretty good with his feet. So he's a sort of like a Neuer light. I've seen him described as. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> if he's anywhere near as good as Neuer, then I think Guardiola will have him. But yeah, Lovren, um, maybe maybe in the squad. Um, I would sell Skirtle. With, um, I would sell Skirtle and Torre. Matic replaces Torre, who we've already brought in. Um I would then sign a starting right centre back and move Lovren down to the bench. I think he, I think for a time he'd be is happy that with that. Is that not where Matip is meant to play? Yeah, but Torre Torre plays is, plays right centre back as well predominantly. So Lovren can cover can cover either side. So 
if if Matip is the um, is the reserve right sided, Lovren's the reserve left sided. Sacco starts, you know, give him another season. If he's still inconsistent, get rid. But we need. I, I would buy a starting right centre back, and I don't think it would be Matip because I have seen him at times, and he's not always as consistent as he can be. So yeah, and maybe he's just distracted because he knows he's moving. I mean, he's known that all season because he's not been signing a contract. Yeah. So I, I personally would buy another right centre, right sided centre back. Fair enough. Um, for Tottenham, I'll, it's much easier to start with who didn't impress. That was Youngman's son. Uh, consistently finds himself in the right places, but does the wrong thing with the ball. I can think of three opportunities in Liverpool's final third where. He, his first touch let him down, or he made the wrong choice pass-wise. Um, it, it just wasn't it just wasn't good enough. And the fact that Lamela has improved as much as he had this year only throws it into even sharper relief how much Sun has struggled. He was a player I was very excited about us bringing in, and we have forced him to play on both sides and just kind of play him wherever the gap is in that three behind the forward, which I know isn't the easiest thing to do, especially for a player that's still adapting, but... Um, considering how he was in his first couple of matches for us and then how he's been since uh, returning from injuries, it's just not not been good enough. Hopefully he will continue to improve. Liverpool, <laughs> Tottenham have had a long string of, of wingers that we've tried to bring in that haven't really worked out in the first season. Um, so hopefully that's just what, what the case is here and that Sun will pick up uh, with the full summer and getting ready for next year. And he doesn't have the Euros to distract him like so many of our players do. So... Hopefully he can just improve his individual game, but really his first touch is quite poor, uh, especially for the level uh, of a club like Tottenham and in a league like the Premier League. It just You will never have enough time to control the ball the way that he wants to, and he just really needs to work on that in order to, to really make it at Tottenham. Uh, player that most impressed, I mean, Hugo had a terrific match. He had a couple saves where we were just like, what? how did he even get there, the, the Superman punch? Was my favorite. He knocked it into your half in the air. That was incredible. <laughs> He's such um, a beast. I really like that. I have no idea how he did that. I really don't. I really um, liked him. I didn't like it at the time, obviously, but like the, the save from Lalana. I mean, oh, Lalana yeah. just miss miss hits it and it just like bounces up. But Loris is and just he, like, and no. Loris like jumped the wrong way, reaching with the offhand. Yeah, I, yeah, a, I don't know. It's a great reach. Larice is one of those guys where if he was like three inches taller, he I, I honestly think he could be in that like Neuer category. But he's he just a, he's a little bit undersized. And, you know, in England, everybody who's the best keeper in the league, it just rotates depending on who's on form. Courtois has been surprisingly awful for like a month now. Um, people don't really talk about it. I don't, I don't know why that's gone under the radar. But De Gea probably the best keeper in the Premier League at the moment. Luis obviously always making a strong case for being second or third, but yeah, we we certainly love him. And as as far as reflex saves go, he is just absolutely incredible. So yeah, I guess I'll go with Luis then. You talked me into it, Zach. <laughs> All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have a project you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Uh, if you want to read my latest column in the Command and Journal, it should be out on Wednesday. Apologies that the Jackass has not been going up uh, recently. Uh, that is due to technical issues. We are hoping to get another one up this week, which you will be able to find, again, hopefully, at the Jackcast on Twitter. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, again, that is Zach Forster underscore AI. Um, I've currently got an article up with AnfieldIndex.com. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's about Joe Allen, and I've compared him to um, John Henderson and Emre Jan, um, simply just to see what his statistics were um, in comparison to those guys. Um, I will be writing once a week um, for Anford Index from now on. I'm um, going to be back writing, which is good. Very happy to say that. Um, other than that, um, my fantasy football Twitter, which is at AI Fantasy Footy, uh, and that podcast, which we tweet from there regularly. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my uh, ramblings over at theeaglesbeak.com for fantasy and playtalk.com where I do player updates. Uh, you can also listen to the All In Sports Talk Show, which goes up on Tuesdays. I'm the Premier League correspondent for that. Also host of the FPL Roundtable, which goes up on Thursdays, and this, which goes up on Fridays and Mondays. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.